Everyone, yeah, I'm on. Okay, we're reading two readings today. The first is from Luke 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The second reading is from John 1, 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sarah. Hey, before we reflect on this this morning, I'd like you to do something. I'd like you to turn to somebody next to you, and this might be a little bit terrifying. Uh, See if you can share all the things that you know you already have planned, like that you have on in December. All the Christmas parties and all the things you have to do, all of that. What, just, just rattle them off. Go. Alrighty. As you, uh, as you think about everything that is uh, that is planned for your month ahead, may we may we now just uh, take time to think about this morning uh, what Jesus invites us into. Uh, as we reflect on this, refle- as we reflect on this scripture this morning, so Father, I pray that as we open uh, and reflect on Your Word this morning that we've just read, the story uh, of Christmas, of Advent, that over this coming four weeks, uh, you would uh, that we would receive Your invitation into uh, being present with You. Lord, there's much happening in this season, but. Uh, Lord, we want to make the most of it, and so we pray that as we reflect on your word this morning, uh, that you would open our minds, our hearts, our ears to hear what you would want to say to us through the scriptures by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Who is God? That question is possibly one of the the most important questions, if not the most important question we can ask, right? And something that we should be seeking an answer for while we have this time on this earth. Uh, A.W. Tozer famously said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God 
is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So who is God? Who do we perceive God to be? Uh, Toza went on to write, For this reason, the gravest question before the, the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man or woman is not what he or she at a given time may say or do, but what they in their deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend, by a secret law of the soul, to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. We move toward our mental image of God. So this question, who is God? Who really is God? Is, is so important. Um, a pastor by the name of Jeff Vanderstelt, who trains uh, ordinary uh, Christians to embrace the mission of God, he, he puts it this way in uh, some of the missional training. Who God is determines and leads to what God does. That shapes who we are, which in turn shapes and determines what we do. So, for example, God is a God of love, and so that shapes and determined that what God has done in sending his son Jesus because he so loved the world. This then shapes who we are as we receive Jesus who is sent by God. That's what he does. That then shapes who we are as, as uh, children of God who identify with Christ. And this then leads to what we do, which is live in response to that grace and that mercy Put out on us in Jesus. Who God is determines what God does, which determines who we are and then what we do. Our identity and the way that we live is intricately tied to the nature and character of God. The challenge is that all around us, even within uh, the Christian church, there's, there's either much debate about what God's really like well, there's you know different theological perspectives to look at, and you know tying together the whole of the scriptures and all of that. So we either, there's either a lot of debate about it, or God's considered to be such a mystery that it's sort of not worth hypothesizing. We just leave God as a mystery, and in, then into the answer, who is God? We go, well, we can't really know. We're limited human beings. So these are sort of the extremes we fall into. That's why I love Christmas. The popular songs paint such a great picture of God's true nature. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Oh, wait, wrong God. So who is God? Who really is God? I'm going to come back to that in a second. But I did a little uh, Facebook experiment this week. Uh, it should be on the screen. I posted a list of words. Now, these words are all similar in their meaning. And I asked people, if you see that, when you read these words, who or what do you immediately think of? So words like palpable, touchable, actual, appreciable, corporeal, definite, detectable, discernible, distinct, evident, observable, perceivable, perceptible, tactile, verifiable, visible, exteriorized, externalized, materialized, Personified, substantiated, physical, real, tangible, all very concrete, definite words. Now I've got a range of answers, who or what comes to mind. Uh, science, of course, somebody was going to answer that. Um, somebody said a lawsuit. 
Um, <laughs> some, someone said, it sounds like someone who's too busy. Uh, I wonder, what, what comes to mind? Who or what comes to mind when you read those words? Just country. country. Landscape. Landscape, right? It's real. It's, it's, it's sort of tactile, yep. Something concrete, right? It's just, it's just yeah, facts. It's, it's established. There's no question about it. I imagine if I put this to a, a large audience in, in Western society today, um, answers like science and evidence, things that are concrete, provable, these would be sort of some of the top answers. I also think that in the world that we live in today, hardly anyone would answer with God, because God is sort of a bit more unknown and less concrete. Yet these are all synonyms for the word incarnate. And as Christians, the significance of the atoning death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, things we celebrate around Easter time, these are fundamental to our faith, of course. They're fundamental to the message we bear. But the incarnation, the concept that God has fully revealed himself and become present in a person, if true, is an incredible, incredible thing because who God is has been revealed once and for all. The true God revealed in a human person. And if God himself is indeed incarnate, incarnated, he's not just revealed to us, he's palpable, touchable, definite, detectable, evident, observable, perceivable, perceptible, visible, personified, substantiated, real, tangible. And that makes a big difference. If that's true, not just 2,000 years ago, but today, as the spirit of Jesus walks with us and dwells in us, it can have a huge impact on our lives. Because who God is and what he does is no longer a secret, and it determines our very identity. So through Advent, between now and Christmas, that is, we're going to take some time to consider what God being incarnate in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, means for us. And not just what his life looked like, we'll look plenty of, uh, plenty of that, but also the way God came into our realm of existence that we remember in the, you know, the nativity stories. Um, who, God, who Jesus shows us that God is with his life and by his spirit and how he came into the world. So, that's where we're going to sit for a while in this Advent season. I want to start off by observing something about the incarnation that's probably really important for you and I as the calendar flips over to December and all of those things we've got going on. Um, the month ahead of us is usually not characterized by peace and calm and quiet and contentment and relaxation. Maybe when you get to Christmas Day, maybe. <laughs> You can literally feel the busy creeping in right now. I don't know about you, but I'm talking to people and it's like, oh, calendars are full. It's like, oh, I've got something on every weekend. Oh, it's just like, it's, the tension just kind of rises. I Googled um, Christmas season is, and you know, on Google you have the autofill, so it says, suggest what it thinks you're going to type in next. 
Um, this was, these were the autofill options. Christmas season is coming here, fast approaching, upon us, near, and killing us. That's, that's the Google predictions. Christmas season is ugh, all very reassuring. And, and you know what? We, we, see, we see it coming every year, but nothing changes. Right, I, I feel like every beginning of Advent season, and we sort of talk about this, you know, let's approach different Christmas, diff- Christmas differently, and it's, we, we don't do anything different about it usually. Is it possible that some of that, that, that attitude that, that leads to, I like, just busy, 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 is a result of what comes into our minds when we think about God, A.W. Tozer? That what comes into our minds when we think about God is a God who expects of us more and more and more, a God who holds us responsible for the people in our lives. So every present, every Christmas party invitation, every family gathering, we must impress, we must match up, we must accept. A God who couldn't possibly accept us relaxing when everyone else is working so hard. And a God who's kind of like Santa, very busy moving from house to house to deliver presents, but not actually present unless he's a fake in a cheap red costume. Is that maybe a little of of what we think about when we think about God? Think about the way God entered this world, on the other hand, and what it says about him and his nature. After a Messiah, a Saviour was promised by the prophets of old, and the people of God anticipated this Saviour King, this this one who would come and rescue them, save them, uh, uh, bring them back to God. 400 years of silence, 400 years since these promises and God had not spoken a word to the Jewish people. And this 400-year wait was broken by an angel's visit to a guy by the name of Zechariah. Not to announce that the king was here, the wait is over, but just that his wife would have a baby who would prepare the way for the Lord. 400-year wait, and now we just have a guy who's going to prepare us more, (laughs) with more waiting. Now, six months later, Mary and Joseph were visited by that same angel to announce that she would give birth to a son, and he would be the saviour. And of course, nine months later, Jesus was born, but of course, not born as a ready soldier, saviour king, but a baby, and not with fanfare, not announced to kings and queens, but announced to the most ordinary fringe people there were, shepherds. And this baby is then raised by a poor family in relative obscurity. uh, And 30 years later, this king is ready to make himself known. But again, not with fanfare to kings and queens, but to fishermen, tax collectors, Samaritan women, the the outcasts, those on the fringe. There's simply no rush about the whole thing. There's no pressure. There's no anxiety about it at all. It's not like, boom, let's go. It's slow and calm and gradual. And then Jesus' ministry gets rolling, right? And there's pressure on him, quite quickly, in fact. Uh, within not too long, there's, there's pressure on Jesus to, uh, to do this, that, and the other. On one occasion, he's been ministering and healing, and the crowds pressure him to stay and keep on doing that in this place. But we read this in Luke 4. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. 
the people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues around Judea. Jesus was content that his purpose in his life was all that mattered, so he wasn't stressed out or robbed of quietness and stillness. Note the winning, going out to a solitary place. He wasn't robbed of this because others had plans for him. Well, Jesus, we want this from you. No, 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 that's not what I'm here for. And as he traveled around, he made, uh, on the flip side, he made space in his heart, he made space in his plans, in his time, for uh, compassion and for conversations with unlikely people. There was a woman who reached out to touch him for healing as he's on the way to heal a little girl. There's a tax collector in a prominent city, a city full of prominent people, Jericho, who Jesus made dinner plans with. I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus. A woman who has been shunned. She's at a well in the middle of the day. A, A Samaritan woman at that. In that culture, it's like this is... You don't go near this person for a Jew, and he's present with her. He was always present, ready to heal, to love, to talk, to teach, to comfort. And if this is indeed what God is like, then a good question to ask is, what do we have permission to change in the rhythm of our lives? Is there stuff in December we simply have permission to say no to because of it's not what God expects of us? If after 400 years of silence since the promises of a saviour, God was patient enough to take another 30 years for a baby to be born, grow, learn, develop before he revealed himself as God in the flesh, is it possible that some of the stuff that you and I have have to have done by Christmas, it's, it's not all that urgent. More importantly, if this is what God is like, if God is patient, if he's present to those he loves, what opportunities to experience his personal touch might we notice if we slow down a little? If, uh, if you do one less gift shop, make one less batch of cookies, uh, what opportunity to hear from God, to, to experience God's presence with a C, not with a T, God's presence? What might you experience if you are present with others in this time? As I was preparing um, this exact part of the sermon, talking about being present with others and not missing the opportunities in this season because we're too busy, I got a phone call. And um, I had this person's number saved on my phone. This was Tuesday, I think. And uh, I'd, I'd made the name in my phone, um, because I'd had calls from this person before, the, the name of the person, and then in brackets, calls needing help for her friend in Armidale. Because this is someone who somehow got my number as a pastor, and from time to time her friend needs help because he doesn't make it to his appointments or whatever, and she gets worried, so she calls me, oh, please, can you go help so-and-so? So I didn't answer the call because I'm thinking, nah, not today. I've got more important things to do. Needless to say, a minute later I called back because I'm writing a message about being present to the opportunities God puts in front of us. And you know, sometimes there's a fine line between being present to the opportunities 
that God gives us and taking on too much. Jesus, as we read on one occasion, said, sorry, I've got to move on. And then on other occasions, stopped, interrupted his plans and stayed with those who needed him. So sometimes there's a fine line there, it's a balance. But in every circumstance, he's revealing the true nature of God. One who is calm, unhurried, unworried, and at peace. And Jesus, um, Jesus invited his disciples to do, that's you and I included, to do one simple thing. He invited us to walk in step with him to walk and live in the same way. And so can we give ourselves permission, just to start with, can we give ourselves permission to live in this same way, calm, unhurried, unworried, at peace? Now, it's, I get it, it's easier said than done. But another example uh, of, God's, uh, of, of God incarnate being and showing his calmness and unworried posture um, is in Mark 4, a rough night on the lake. Uh, some of you might have come across this in the Lectio app, Lectio 365 app this week. Uh, it's a decent amount of time from one side of the Sea of Galilee to another, uh, to the other, and um, Jesus is heading across the lake with his disciples, a few boats, um, through the night. And uh, many of them are, of course, fishermen, right? Experienced sailors. They know how to operate a boat. And then this happens, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now what's going on here, right? These are the experts. These are the fishermen. They know when the boat can't handle it anymore. It's not like the boat's going like this and just, they just don't know that a boat can handle a bit of turbulence and so they, they're freaking out. They know this thing's about to go down. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Because that's where we're heading. But Jesus is calm. Jesus is asleep. He's perfectly at peace. Because the true expert in this situation is not the fishermen, the sailors, the true expert here is not the one who knows the danger of the wind and the waves from experience. The true expert here is the one who controls the wind and the waves. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Let me count the number of words. Quiet, be still. <laughs> Three words. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. So, you know, some of our chaos is our own doing. We talked about that. We busy our schedules far too much. We take on too much. We feel our calendar overflowing. But some storms, admittedly, are out of our control as well. It's not, we can't always just choose peace. But we have a God who is in complete control of that chaos and with a word can speak to the chaos and bring it into order. It's what happened in creation. It's what Jesus does here. He's being revealed as God, the God of creation, in the flesh, in Jesus. And his posture of peace 
and calm and unworried and unhurried does not leave us vulnerable. Like, well, because Jesus is just asleep, we're in danger. No, he he has control still because we're also under his protection. And it leads the disciples to ask that all-important question, who is this? Right? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And that kind of indicates that they actually, they're working it out. It's not just who is this, we have no idea. The wind, if the wind and the waves obey him, we think maybe this is, this is God. But notice they're not asking the question of God, they're asking the question of Jesus. Who is this man? If we want to know who God is, we look at Jesus. He's God in the flesh. He is the word made flesh, as John puts it. He is God in the flesh, incarnate. And as we navigate through this, uh, this, this silly season, this busy season, uh, we don't have to guess what kind of posture God is inviting us into. We don't have to guess who he is and what he wants us to come and be like alongside him. Jesus has shown us. So I want to finish this morning with this invitation of Jesus. He says, are you tired, worn out, you burned out on religion, just doing, doing, doing? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And so, Father, as we enter this Advent season this morning, we want to be people who accept this invitation from your son, Jesus. We don't want to look at you, a peaceful, calm, unhurried, unworried God, and, um, and assume that therefore we have to make up for it by being busy and out of control and worried and stressed and anxious. But Lord, we want to walk with you and work with you, watch how you do it, and then do it the same. And Lord, where we feel the pressure of the expectation of others, because if we don't do this or don't do that, others think this or think that, that we we pray that all of those opinions of others would just wash away and that it would just be your opinion that matters to us. Lord, may we slow down and be present to you in the next four weeks, present to others in the next four weeks. Give us the gift of your presence, God. Not with a T, but with a C. Your presence in our lives.